Hi, everyone. It's Shenda Wall. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, where I sat down and talked with Colleen Stanley. She is just one of my favorite people to talk about emotional intelligence with. For those that are unfamiliar with her, Colleen Stanley is the president of Sales Leadership, a sales development firm specializing in the integration of emotional intelligence, sales, and sales leadership skills. She is the author of three books, including Emotional Intelligence for Sales Success, which is now published in six languages, and Emotional Intelligence for Sales Leadership and Growing Great Sales Teams. I hope you enjoy our conversation today as Colleen and I talk about bits and pieces of her book, as well as just drawing on her many years of experience within combining both sales and emotional intelligence to create success. Hi, everyone. It's Jen Wall on Leadership Habit. And today I am so lucky to be interviewing Colleen Stanley. Now, many of you who are in the Crestcom network might be familiar with her. She has done great work with us in terms of our emotional intelligence classes and our curriculum. And we are so excited to be talking about sales leadership and emotional intelligence. But for those that may not know you, Colleen, will you go ahead and just introduce yourself? Sure. Thank you. And thanks for having me today. So I, uh, Colleen Stanley, I'm the president of sales leadership and we are primarily a sales development firm. That is the lane that we swim in. So if you're not in sales development, think of it as influence, which is something all of us need. And so we work with teams on sales kickoffs are coming up. We've got uh, sales management training and sales training. And then I am the author of two books, Emotional Intelligence for Sales Success and my latest one, Emotional Intelligence for Sales Leadership. So again, thanks for having me. My gosh, Emotional Intelligence for Sales Leadership. Why do you think that it's important for people to have it? Well, actually, maybe I should ask, why the heck aren't people starting to really get into emotional intelligence in the way that we all know that there is a case made for it? What do you think is holding people back from really recognizing that that's a skill set that we need to embrace and have and hone? Well, often, Jen, you know, emotional intelligence is referred to as the soft skills. Now, take a look at the word soft. It infers maybe you're sitting on a couch and you're a big old couch potato. Uh, People will say you've got to go soft on this person. So I think the very word that's associated with emotional intelligence makes people concerned that they can't achieve hard business results, hard sales results, hard any results in life. So there's a little bit of a knowing and doing gap there when it comes to emotional intelligence and how it can make a huge impact both personally and professionally. That's so interesting to think that, yeah, soft, if we just look at it by nature, soft skills, does that mean I'm not going to be able to drive results or communicate in a place that I can have influence with people? Why, you know, you're really like your thought leadership is leveraging emotional intelligence in sales. Why is it important to combine emotional intelligence in sales? Why should sales leaders? And by the way, for those of you that aren't in sales, as Colleen mentioned, you're likely in a position of influence. So this is still for you. But why is it important to combine emotional intelligence and sales? Well, what I discovered about 10 years ago, Jen, when we brought this curriculum into our hard skills training, right? It was a light bulb for me because I recognized that what was missing from giving salespeople and sales leaders 100% of the skills to be successful in life was missing. So hard skills are important. And I would use the analogy of diet and exercise, right? So the hard skills can be diet. 
And that is going to help you lose weight. But you're missing another piece called exercise. And exercise to me are the emotional intelligence skills. So in life, we want a complete set of skills by which we can function and be our best and do our best. So quick example. You know, I can teach a sales team how to ask provocative questions, consultative selling questions. But when they get in front of a decision maker that might be sitting there looking a little bored or scrutinizing them, right? Emotions can start running that conversation. At that point, a salesperson can default to a fight or flight emotional response, right? So the fight response might be they start getting defensive back or they start doing more product dumping to earn their expertise in the room. Or a flight response can simply be, I'm just going to shut down here and go away. And I hope this meeting ends soon. So you've got the hard skills. You've taught them the great selling skills, questioning skills. But what's getting in the way of execution is managing your emotions, your impulse control to deliver that particular skill. Gosh, Kali, and I think that you probably just resonated with a lot of our audience because I think there are some people that could see themselves, myself included. I know that I speak, but doesn't mean I'm perfect, that it is easy to see someone in a room or see someone in a virtual classroom that you think is looking away, they're not paying attention to you. And then all of a sudden you just get in your head like, oh my gosh, am I not engaging? Did I do something wrong? What do I need to do? And then yes, you try to oversell them in a way that they probably are backing further away, or you just stop maybe having that that confidence. I I just think that that is such a a real example of what people experience, myself included. And I know that I'm an extrovert that people just assume is confident all the time, but it is easy once you see that one thing. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for even just bringing that to light because it's something that all of us face. It absolutely is. And what we have to be aware of is sometimes we're the trigger, right? So in life, I call it the trigger response regret loop. I can trigger someone with my extroverted personality, my high driving personality. I'm talking too fast, too intense. And so I might have a perfectly good opportunity in front of me. And that prospect is looking at me thinking, I don't really like her and I don't really emotionally connect with her. So I can have the greatest solution, the greatest expertise in the world. But if I'm not making an emotional connection with someone They can't hear anything I say. They're not engaging with me at that emotional level, which is really the area by which people buy and influence. Yeah, I love it's emphasizing that emotional connection. Where do you feel like people get that wrong? You know, I think that if we we don't address the emotion piece, where, where do we get that wrong? So one of the skills that really addresses the emotion, well, there's actually two skills that addresses reading the room, the emotional temperature of another human being. And the first would be called emotional self-awareness because that which you're not aware of, you cannot change. So if I'm not aware of how I'm landing on people, my communication style, my personality style, my questions, then I'm going to be unaware that those questions or my style might be triggering them. Now, the second skill is empathy. And empathy is a powerful, powerful skill. However, in most organizations, people aren't really getting it. uh, They're not really teaching it the right way. They're well-intended, but they often teach empathy as a validation skill. Jen, you must be disappointed. That must be frustrating. Well, validation isn't really emotionally connecting with you because when I'm able to describe why you're feeling frustrated, why you're feeling overwhelmed, 
That's called empathy because you're demonstrating I actually have the ability to see the world from your perspective. And more than anything in life, people want to feel understood. It is a basic human need. And it doesn't matter how, uh, I guess, confident you look, maybe even arrogant. That's a basic emotional need. So I would say emotional self-awareness and empathy, those are the two key skills in making that emotional connection. My gosh, empathy. You know, I think that that one just rings so true because it is awkward when you have someone that doesn't necessarily know what empathy is or doesn't know how to do it. And so they think that just by saying the words of what you're going through, that they've somehow connected with you. But really, I think most people can tell. Would you say that it's fair to say most people can tell whether you are genuine in your approach or whether you truly do kind of understand or empathize in the right way? I think most people, you know, we understand that we perceive that, but I guess in my experience, I still think sometimes people think that I'm pulling it over. They can't tell. They right. can't see that I'm doing this. Do you, do you feel like you see that where someone might just that arrogance kind of comes through like, I've got this. And they're just completely toned after the room and not understanding that they're creating the opposite effect. Absolutely. And one of the things we will teach, whether it's in a, you know, formal sales conversation or influence conversation. People absolutely sense your energy. So when you study emotionally intelligent people, it's an inside out project, right? Because how I show up is how people are going to perceive what you're thinking or feeling, whether you're genuine or authentic. Now, the challenge in sales is something called a sales quota. Uh, It can be a manager that is strictly managing numbers, right? And so, and, and numbers are important. I understand filling the top of the pipeline, working the way through. But if I show up attached to my quota more than I'm attached to understanding where you're coming from, why is this particular need you're expressing so important right now? Do I actually have the right solution if I don't show up unattached to my quota, but very attached to connecting with you, then I'm going to be tone deaf in the room. And the prospect, I'm going to say it again, even if you have the right solution, can't hear anything you say. They're not connecting with you. They've just gone tone deaf. Gosh, Colleen, can you go into every single organization and help them? Because I've seen this. I've seen it in leaders. And whether it's a salesperson or whether it's a leader with an idea, like I've absolutely sat in a room where, and I've probably been that person too, but like the, you have this great idea that you love so much, right? So we're high ego. And then we push, 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 but we're not even looking at the people that we're trying to influence. We're just so concerned about me, my idea, what we're going to do. And then people are just like, why do I want to do this? I don't, I don't listen to someone where I'm not in the conversation. If they're trying to influence me, I want to feel like a part of that solution or feel that, okay, you, you want my insight or I, I can make this come to fruition or implement it. Oh my gosh, I just, can you, yeah, can you please go in and just help every single leader? <laughs> well, it, for example, let's say you're presenting an idea. Now you as the leader, often if you're a leader and this doesn't make you more important than anyone else, you've just got a different set of talents. So one of your talents might be seeing the vision where we need to be in 20 years. The problem is, as you're laying out that vision, you've left behind everyone else. And all they can think about is, oh, this is more work for me. I don't have the skills to do this. If you're, if we're going to implement this idea, how does it affect this? And so what happens is if you're not reading the emotional temperature of the room, you're not seeing people that have maybe angst about workload 
or their own abilities. And so empathy is stopping and pausing and say, now, let's talk about this. Because for many of you in the room, you might be thinking this. You might be wondering about this. You might be feeling this. And you state the elephant in the room because nobody wants to speak up to their boss and say, I'm not capable. I've got too much work. How do you expect me to do this? Right. We don't want to be that person. And so often what happens because we don't demonstrate empathy, leaders miss the meeting after the meeting. <laughs> is the meeting the after the meeting? After the meeting. <laughs> and this is where everybody gets together. Does she not know? how much work I have, or when the person goes home, I think I'm going to lose my job because uh, this is where the company's headed and I don't have the skill sets. I'm not sure how I'm going to get the skill sets. You know, whatever the story is that people make up and they're great fiction writers. So that's why empathy is so important. You get to have the conversation in the room versus missing the conversations that occur outside of the room. Oh my gosh, Colleen, I've never heard it expressed like that because it is true. It's you have the meeting. If you miss the mark or you miss the tone, you're not addressing that elephant to the room. It's absolutely going to go on between the employees to say, what in the heck are they thinking? Or yes, like what does, what does my future look like here? Should I start looking for another job? So we know that disengagement starts to rise, but you're right. It's the meeting after the meeting. Do you want to be a part of that? Or do you want that to like, and be present in that moment? Or do you want to just know that that's what's going to happen if you don't address it. I love that concept. And I think for our audience, you know, asking yourself, are you addressing the elephant in the room or are you missing then the meeting after the meeting, which that's where I think so much can be discussed. And even the things that meeting after the meeting is likely where people, if you actually had insight into that, could then overcome some of those obstacles or give them different perspectives to help soften their anxiety or stressors. Oh my I just love that concept. (laughs) Well, you know, and then if we flip it to the other side where, yes, the, the leader is, you know, we say the pace of the leader is the pace of the organization. I would also say this, though, put the responsibility of your company's success on your employees, your team members as well, because it's very easy to show up in a room, expect the man or woman running the meeting to have all the answers or you know, even when they're asking for input, I've seen people that have not developed their assertiveness skills. So they're not willing to state their opinion. They're not willing to state what they need. However, these people can also become very passive aggressive. And then after the meeting, that's when they fall into victim mentality. Well, they didn't mention this. They didn't mention this. He or she didn't mention this. And so part of the responsibility and and creating a great culture is to teach people assertiveness And then also teach them that when you're not displaying assertiveness, you generally fall into victim mentality. Everybody's doing it to me. Uh, Nobody's listening to me. Well, the fact is you're not speaking up and stating what you need nicely. So there's two sides of the room that always have to be working together. And so I see sometimes where the leader can be doing a great job, but if they haven't taught their team the power of assertiveness and what the implications are, if you don't display the right assertiveness, then you get into victim blame excuse cultures. Well, and that's a great insight. Just reminding people that, yes, we can have expectations of a leader. We can want them to do a really great job, but we also have to have expectations about how we show up. And, you know, I'm glad that you touched on victim mentality because I do feel like that is something that can be rather rampant in organizations where people feel like, you know, they're just throwing throwing out the criticism, throwing out that, but then they're not doing anything about it. They're just complaining. And then going back to the emotional intelligence component, 
Because in, in my coaching school that I went to, what they called it was entrainment is when someone had maybe a bigger energy. So if I walked into a room feeling really happy that people could entrain to that and also feel happy, but knowing that we have that complainer who's, I hate this company. I can't believe they didn't do that. How then they can also entrain. And so that victim mentality also perpetuates. And again, they're the victim. They're not recognizing that they actually still are a leader. They're just a leader in, in victimhood and in criticism. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, in uh, the EQ world, I think the equivalent to that definition would be called emotional contagion. And it has actually been proven people will pick up your emotional state, your attitude or habit. So, you know, the old saying, one bad apple can spoil the whole bucket. It's absolutely true. So it's not just a pithy quote. It's based on neuroscience and it's based on psychology 101. So it's, uh, you know, the victim mentality when we work with sales leaders on this and any leader could tap into this is teaching your team the concept of locus of control. And so this is a body of work uh, from the psychology world. Julian Rotter is the person that I understand is credited for this. And locus of control is developing either your internal or external locus of control. So for internal locus of control, their pithy statement is, if it is to be, it's up to me. So you and I are both talking about how we grew up in the Midwest and frankly grew up with parents that were kind of like, if you want to get it done, your responsibility, you're accountable, right? And those are the people that succeed in life. Now, external, when I've seen this in sales, external locus of control people are professional complainers. They could actually you know, put a sign out, open today for complaining, bring me your problems and I'll add three more to them. I mean, it's amazing because complaining is a habit. And so what they do is they'll blame the company. I don't get enough good marketing leads. I get enough good leads, but they're not qualified by the sales development person. Um, I don't have brand recognition. Our prices are too high. I don't get enough coaching. I don't get enough training. And it goes on and on. So these people will never be successful in life because external lows locus of control people are only successful when the external environment is perfect. Good luck with that. Right. And I'm wondering, is there ever, yeah, so there's never an end point for that where all of a sudden everything is there. Perfection, perfect. We've got it. So there's just, if you find yourself in that position and some of you, this has to be an honest thing. I, I have to be honest. I know in my 20s, I was far more ego and did not have well-developed emotional intelligence skills, which meant that I was probably that person to some extent. And I'm not proud of it. Mm -hmm. But to those that are listening, just remind yourself, if you are that person, you know, give yourself permission to change. How do you really want to show up? So this brings us to our another question because you've already given so many nuggets, Colleen, I'm just loving this conversation, but what tips would you have to strengthen your emotional intelligence in sales, at work? And again, for the people that may have identified, maybe see themselves as being a little bit of the victim or being a little bit more of the complainer, this is your opportunity to change. Colleen's going to give you insights into that. Well, I would say there's probably three steps. Uh, first step is this, make a decision. Make a decision because, you know, when you look in life, where you first change is not studying it, not learning about it. You make a decision. I am going to change. And at that point, you will start looking for the resources. You will uh, start looking for friends and colleagues that can help you. Now, when you get into the actual skills, the mega skill for developing all of the emotional intelligence skills is self-awareness. So in the words of Socrates, know thyself. 
because that which you're not aware of, you cannot change. And that which you're not aware of, you're bound to repeat. Now, the number one way that emotional self-awareness is developed is through quiet time, reflection, meditation. And so one of the things we coach all of our teams on is when you get up in the morning, don't grab that little adult binky called the cell phone and <laughs> start checking texts and emails because then your brain implodes. And even if it's nothing warranting immediate attention, your mind is often running. Carve out five minutes, start with five minutes and reflect. And the reflection might be, how do I want to show up today? Where will I be challenged to bring my best self? Your reflection might be looking over the previous day. How did I show up? Was I the trigger that caused an emotional response in someone else? Was I fully present in all my conversations? Now, I have evolved this practice to almost 45 minutes in the morning. So I generally read something spiritual, positive, and then I meditate for about 20 minutes. Because for me, this is like, and this isn't my original thought. I read it in a book somewhere. It's like taking a shower. <laughs> you know, I'm going to take a shower every day. Luckily, I live here uh, in the States. But I am going to get my mind fresh and ready to go. So check in with yourself before you check into the rest of the world. And you're going to show up better and be better. I really like that you equated the cell phone to our binky because oh, I even sat there this, I sat this morning and I, I really actually had the thought because I, I was just messing around on my phone, right? I go through the news, I go through my email, I, but it's not necessarily, I would say an intentional, I know that I'm going to do something. It's more of a passive, like, Oh, what's going on today? And I was thinking, I'm like, you know, what did I do 20 years ago? What did I do when we didn't have cell phones? I my alarm went off and I got up out of bed. I didn't just sit in bed. And I'm glad that you bring that up because that again is, that's our emotional intelligence. That's our self-awareness and bringing it as a type of daily habit, building in your self-awareness time. That's when you're flexing that emotional yeah. intelligence muscle. Mm -hmm. and that's a great piece of feedback. And, and, it's, and it's a habit. And initially, you know, I have friends that still say, I just can't sit for 15 minutes. I can't sit for 20. Well, I couldn't either when I was starting the reflection. It's like anything. A habit is what you do repeatedly. So, and if you choose to study it, which I have, then guess what? All of a sudden, five minutes turns into 10. 10 may turn into 15. And it depends on your schedule. You know, small children can make a difference. Uh, a sick child can make a difference. Maybe something going on at work. But I promise you, you all have five minutes to check in with yourself. Yeah, I think I want to start that tomorrow. I'm like, I have an extra space. I could probably just use that as my self-awareness space of checking yes. in. Um, that no, any other like so start starting with self-awareness, how where do you think people get it wrong? Or like what are the mistakes or things that they need to avoid? Well, sometimes what will happen with self-awareness is you do have blind spots, right? And there's a, another body of work out there called the Dooning Kruger effect. And so this is the research basically is summed up uh, this way. We all think we do better than we do. We think we're better drivers. We think we're better conversationalists. We think we're better friends. So one of the first places you might want to reach out to as far as just maybe some reflection, if you desire to be a better leader, right? Better salesperson, better sales manager, reach out to three trusted friends that you know have your back. And what I mean by that, 
When they give you feedback, it's not going to be for a, I gotcha, uh, I'm superior. They truly want you to be better because then they may point out some things that you're not even aware of. And then those can be the things that you can sit and reflect on, start visualizing yourself uh, being that type of person. So for me, I have had to do a lot of visualization and thinking on patience because I'm not a patient person. I had to do a lot of thinking, reflecting on my temperament because I can go from zero to a hundred. And all of a sudden the person that's written a book on emotional intelligence is acting really like a big jerk. Okay. <laughs> and so, so I had to become aware of, okay, what triggers me that brings out the jerk in me and then makes me say or do something that I regret. And sometimes you can't mend. So I would say, um, Simply, where did you get triggered? Was I the trigger? And then look for those outside colleagues that can point out some blind spots to you in a loving way. Oh my gosh. And I think that's so important because I too, I was laughing during that because I think my husband, if he was listening to this, would say, that's exactly what my wife needs to work on. She needs to be more patient. She needs to do that. But I think, you know, really thinking about it in terms of before you hit that point of no return or before you can't mend it. I even a few weeks ago went out to dinner with some girlfriends and it was just three of us and we wanted to eat outside, but they won't because of the pandemic, they won't seat you outside until you have, your full party was there. And my friend was over a half hour late. And in my head, I, I knew I had that leadership perspective of, okay, like it's okay that she's late. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. Cause my trigger is, is lateness. Oh, me and too. That, that must be a Midwest thing too. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, when she showed up a half hour late, I was such a jerk. I honestly admittedly was such a jerk. And I was like, Steph, come on. And then I just felt horrible. And I, of course, apologized to her profusely. I apologized to her, you know, a few days later, because I know that's not how I want to show up. Mm -hmm. But I think, again, just reminding ourselves that we've got to continue to work on our triggers. Time will always be a trigger for me. Yes. I don't have to be a jerk just because of that. I don't have to be responsive to it just because it's my trigger. I get to choose that. How in the heck did you get to like come down and be like, okay, all right, I'm not going to go there. Like, what are some of the things that maybe you that help you in addition to doing the self awareness? Is there are there any other tricks that you've done? Well, one of the things when you're triggered is actually what I call the neuroscience of emotion management. And do know it's an actual physiological response that your body is sending you into. So when your friend is late, you start telling yourself a story. And the story might be, you know what, my time is just as important as hers. I don't know who she thinks she is. You know, she's always late. She doesn't respect us. What a moron. I don't care what the story is. Okay? Right, right. But that story triggers your reptilian brain. And at that point, that is the part of your brain that doesn't have sound judgment, problem solving, logical, rational reasoning. So you've just you've got to move it out of there. So the first one is recognizing when you're getting triggered. So for me, it starts happening right here. I can feel it right there. And I have to pause. And then there's a couple of tools you can use. One is simply to state the emotion you're feeling. I'm feeling disrespected. Now, you don't stay there and ruminate because that gets you more upset. I'm feeling disrespected. By stating the emotion you're feeling, it'll move that thinking to the prefrontal cortex where you can start applying logic, rational reasoning. And what you might have done in this case is say, okay, this won't be the time to have the conversation. But if this is a friend of yours that's consistently late, you have a couple of choices. Number one, you give her a false deadline. 
There are some <laughs> they ju- I don't know what it is. You give them a false deadline. And then you know that they're going to show up at the appropriate time. You might tell yourself a different story. I hope she didn't get in an accident. Wow, this is unlike her to be late. So then you start applying empathy and compassion. So if you can get yourself to the logical, you can either start making some decisions. This isn't a good time to address, but I will use my assertiveness next week to call her. Again, a habitual lateness starts becoming a decision. And frankly, I've had some people that I quit trying to meet them for things or set the half hour or even 45 minutes early and had them waiting for me. So there, there's some, and that not to be passive aggressive, but just right. that's how late they were. So it's some decisions to make there, but you can make them from a logical, rational point of view. Yeah. And that's so important to think about when you are triggered in the moment, because I, I can go back to my twenties and when maybe I felt like a dig at work or I felt like I was not enough, whatever that was, how you know, anytime that someone was maybe because I'm a perfectionist by trade, right? So anytime that someone maybe had a better idea or was perceived as smarter than me, then that was a trigger. And mm-hmm. so then I just started to question my worth. I also started to live in that place of competition. But what do they have versus me? And I mean, again, I'm not proud of any of this, but this is oh, also no, it's, it's very honest. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And it's but I, I really like the approach of understanding that you're triggered, it's okay to be triggered, but we've got to shift that to a logical thought process yes. because you're also going to feel that emotional hangover that comes from responding poorly. Right. And no one wants to feel that way. I don't want to feel crappy because I didn't say something kind to someone. That's not a good way to spend my time or energy. Yes. Yes. And you know, I, I think what's important is none of us like to be judged. And yet I know for myself, I can fall into judgment very quickly. So judgment then can set, whether you say anything or not, they know you've got an opinion about what was just said, done, not done. And so one of the things is to become aware of when you're judging. For me, I judge people in areas where I'm strong and they're not as strong. Mm-hmm. And that can be actually a form of arrogance, right? And so for both of us, we're probably pretty good at time management. We were lucky we either had it modeled or taught, whatever that gift was. I have seen people in life that are just lousy at organization and they could attend every time management course in the world. So that's where sometimes watch the judgment and then put in maybe other boundaries, which are going to be acceptable to you. So uh, again, when I find myself walking into judgment, I just then turn to the, what's the story I'm telling myself? Is there a new story? Now, remember for everybody listening today, This does not mean you, quote, let people off the hook. See, that's the biggest worry people have when you're talking about emotion management and empathy. But what it does mean is when you're going to have the crucial, I guess, you know, the crucial crucial coaching conversation, sales conversation, you can have it in a manner that you can very much set expectations. You can state your observations of what you've been seeing or not seeing. You can be assertive. And you can apply empathy. So you can use a nice combination of hard skills and soft skills, but you still lay out the expectations and you can lay out consequences. So remember, the soft skills don't mean that you do not set expectations of how you expect to be treated, how you expect someone to perform at work. It's just that you're able to deliver it in a manner that you feel good about it afterwards and they feel good. Even if initially when somebody's receiving feedback, nobody really likes it. They all say they do. They don't. Okay? <laughs> you got that ego that, uh, that gets in the way. But somebody that's self-aware, 30 minutes, an hour later, they'll say, you know what? Jen was right. 
And those are the people you want on your team. The excuse makers that literally never hear anything you say, even if you delivered it brilliantly, that's when you've got to make a decision as a sales leader or a leader. Is this the person that I need on my team that's going to help us win the future? I think that's a really great, like important point. You're not just letting people off of the hook by handling it in a more productive way, right? We think, well, if we're not as firm and aggressive, then they're not getting the point. They get the point. Yes. Like you can address it through boundaries and expectations. Right. And, you know, I think, uh, I think uh, Stephen Covey was the person that said, I was started using the analogy of build a, you've got a relationship bank account. So as a good sales leader, if you put a lot of deposits into somebody's account, but now it's time to have the uh, the coaching conversation because even with good people, you are going to have to have some type of conversation. Anybody in a friendship, marriage, long-term relationship, you've had those conversations. And so I remember when I was back in corporate, and I mean, I you and I sound very similar. I mean, I'm 30, I'm a bull in a china shop, but I will tell you, I'm <laughs> a worker. Yes. My intuition was generally right. And so I think I was lucky to have these mentors and bosses that probably got behind closed doors and went, okay, who's going to talk to her this week, right? And so <laughs> my, um, my boss and mentor, Klein Boyd, I remember going in for my uh, yearly review. We had had a great year. I think we'd had 30% growth. I'm thinking easy peasy. And it was the toughest review I've ever received because Klein Boyd was a man that modeled treat others the way you want to be treated. And so what he had noted in my 30s, being this hard charging, hard working, loved the company, he said, Colleen, you're coming into the office every morning. I never doubt your work ethic. You're in here early. But I got to tell you, you don't look left. You don't look right. When you go to the restroom, you don't say hi to anyone. That's got to stop. And I'm like, what do you mean? I am, I am giving my blood for this company. But what he was pointing out is I was becoming very task-oriented and not people-oriented. And that wasn't working for him, regardless of the results I was bringing in. Oh my gosh. You and I are really alike. I think of the conversation where I had a boss at the time and Dave was like, Jen, your passion, unbeatable. Your drive, unbeatable. But you've got, and they were like, you've got to calm it down because I would be so emotionally responsive to things. So if, if I was frustrated, there was no doubt that you could tell that I was frustrated. If I was happy, there's no doubt that you could see that. (laughs) And, you know, it's understanding the power. Yeah. right. (laughs) Like understanding the power for good. I know that we don't have a lot of time and I do really want to hit on this important topic uh, because you are in the sales space and you are in emotional intelligence and we're all in the middle of a pandemic. How do we even begin to navigate this? Because it's it's seeming more and more likely that we're going to be navigating this for a little bit longer than maybe what we anticipated. So how can you navigate sales, emotional intelligence in the face of the pandemic? So for sales leaders and leaders, I would say, let's talk about two tools. One I mentioned already, locus of control. Because even for a highly optimistic person, you can start listening to the news, social media, your peers. This is never going to get better. This is never going to go away. And so what I suggest to people, focus on what you can control. So in our business, we had to flip a lot of it, almost all of it to a virtual instructor-led. But we can control how good we do that. 
We practice at it. We bought, purchased the equipment. I've uh, hired a couple of coaches to become very good. I can control that piece. I can't control when the pandemic's going to be over. I can control uh, doing more activity, better activity. I can control practicing more, getting better at my craft. So locus of control is focusing on what you can control versus what you can't control. I would say the second thing, get some sleep, people. Um, what I am finding is, and I don't think people recognize that for you to bring a, you know, just a really productive salesperson or sales leader, I am much better when I am rested. And this goes back to the neuroscience. A rested brain can think clearly. A rested brain is creative. And, you know, if you're going to make it and succeed through the pandemic, it takes clarity. It takes creativity. How do we do this? How do we do it better? How do we do it differently? And then the other thing is, I would say in building that resiliency muscle, go back to self-awareness and watch the self-talk because out of the world of positive psychology, it's easy for us to forget the pandemic is temporary. This is not permanent. And so uh, Dr. Paul Stoltz wrote a book and actually talked about it in my book here. So I want to give him some credit. It's called The Adversity Quotient. And he talks about temporary versus permanent. So let's say the pandemic was permanent. Now it's not going to be then what could you control about that? The attitude, how I go about life, what do I need to do differently? So watch yourself talk because temporary means this too will pass. Permanent thinking is that's what gets people depressed and frankly uh, starts really making them incapable of taking the right actions and doing the right things. So those would be three tips I'd give. Yeah, those are great tips. I mean, I love, I, I especially love that last one because I think recognizing every single day that we have choice. We yes. have choice in our thoughts. We have choice in our actions and our sleep and how we communicate with people. And even if we do have a misstep, we can always make a different choice. Absolutely. You know, recognizing that choices are always there. That's the one thing that, you know, we can't control. You just hit on so many great, valuable things, Colleen. Yeah. And, and this is a coaching tip that uh, leaders, sales leaders, so, uh, leaders in general, is what part of this do you need to own? So when something is not going the right way, easy to slip into the blame game. What part of this do you need to own? Because see, when people lack ownership, that's when they uh, move into learned helplessness, blame, excuses, and nothing changes there. So what do you need to own? What can you do to change and improve? What's good about this? Change your coaching question and you'll get people to change their focus, their perspective, and then the ensuing actions they take. Yes. Okay. Oh my gosh, Colleen, I don't want this to end, but unfortunately I know it has to, I want to keep talking to you about this, but I'm going to wrap up with our closing question that we always ask everyone, which is what is your leadership habit for success? Well, I think everyone just heard it throughout <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> and mine is carving out that. So I would say it's carving out the quiet time, getting enough sleep, and I get outdoors in uh, nature and exercise. So yes, I do a ton of reading on sales, sales leadership, psychology. But I will tell you, if I if physiologically and mentally I'm not showing up uh, in the right way to the game, none of that great knowledge I'm learning can be applied, taught, or shared. Gosh, that's a great like closing insight. Colleen, thank you so much for sharing your expertise, your experience, all the research that you've done, you know, is investing in your craft. Thank you so much for bringing that to our audience. I, it was a, such a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you, Jen. You've been a great host as always. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast. If you enjoyed Colleen, 
go out and get her book, Emotional Intelligence for Sales Success or Emotional Intelligence for Sales Leadership. Of course, you can contact her at her website, salesleadershipdevelopment.com. If you enjoyed this, go ahead and send that over to your friends, share it on LinkedIn. We want to help the world be better leaders. And of course, don't forget to write us a review on your favorite podcast streaming service. Thank you so much for tuning in. We're grateful for you. Have a great day.